0: This is our second week in the Monsters series in which we're looking at things in our lives that are monsters that try to rob us of our faith. This is set in our bigger uh, year-long series called The Story, where as Pastor Nancy said, we're going through the entire Bible. If you're new to our congregation, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson, just would invite you to pick up a copy of The Story out in the lobby free of charge. It's just an abridged version of the Bible that we're reading together and going through the whole thing throughout the year. And then we're breaking up into sub-series. And and again, our focus is on monsters. And we've invited the children of our church and community to send in pictures of monsters. And uh, we'll draw one of them randomly each week to win a pizza party. Uh, I'm glad to announce today that Michael Bailey is our winner. We've got a picture of his monster. Uh, And as you can see, it's the color taker 40,000. He even named his monster. This monster steals color from the world. So that's that's a bad monster to deal with. So, you yeah, have children or grandchildren or neighbors uh, who are children who would like to just submit any picture of any kind of monster, you can do that uh, through our website, um, southparkchurch.com, or our Facebook page. And it's just a fun way to help get the whole family involved in this. Uh, Speaking of our children, I'm excited to announce that this Saturday coming up, the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department is going to come and meet with us here in the theater uh, Saturday morning. And CMPD is going around to most of the churches in the Charlotte area just to help them think about safety. And I know our first thought is we go to some of those (coughs) church shootings that we've seen on television that's just, you know, so tragic and horrible. and, And we certainly want to do everything we can to prevent that. But those things are so rare. We're not really living in fear over that. Uh, But we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about more everyday kind of stuff too. Like what if the lights go out in the theater or what if there's a fire or anything safety related. So it's good to have the CMPD come and and this is open to anyone to come and give input and to learn and and then we'll begin to implement some of this stuff. And we're also just grateful to have Officer JJ from CMPD who's with us each and every Sunday. Uh, We don't live in fear here, but we do want to be proactive and just make this the safest environment that we have. To come and worship Jesus. I read a book earlier this year by Pastor Irwin McManus in which he talks about failure. And he says that we view failure obviously very negatively in the world, but he has come to embrace failure. In fact, he says if we're not failing, then we're not trying new things. And so that failure is a good thing. It's a good way to process things, it's a good way to learn, it's a good way to move forward. And he believes so much in the power of failure. That every night when he comes home uh, and has dinner with his family and his children, he asks his children, how did you fail today? And it's not in a negative way. It's in a positive way to say if you're not trying new things, uh, then uh, you're not going to be able to fail. And so failure is not necessarily something uh, that is negative. Uh, and, you know, that's sometimes easier said than done, isn't it? When we fail, it, it hurts, and, and, and we don't like to, to face that. But, but we can learn from people and, and learn from their mistakes and their failures and that it's not the end of the world when we fail. Barbara Corcoran, if you watch uh, the TV show Shark Tank, a very successful uh, real estate uh, broker in New York City, and uh, she is, she's probably worth millions and millions of dollars Uh, We've got a picture of her here. And she, uh, she, before she hit it rich and did really well with real estate in New York, she had 23 different jobs. And she was fired from three of those. And so she was not an instant success. And she went through a lot of heartache and a lot of challenges across those 23 jobs. Uh, And so it just goes to show that after one failure, we probably really shouldn't give up on life. And so um, that's a a powerful example. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, uh, she is... uh, it wrote the the greatest selling book series in the history of the world, uh, outside of the Bible. It's it's probably the top, but of the series kind of thing, she sold millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and then the movies after that made her extremely wealthy as well. But when she was writing the books. Uh, She didn't feel like much of a success. She'd just been divorced. Her mother had died. She was raising her children in near poverty, and she submitted her first manuscript to all the major publishers in in London, and they all rejected her. She was rejected 12 times until a small publishing house took a chance on her only because the guy who was in charge let his 8-year-old daughter read it, and she said, Daddy, you have to publish this. Uh, And what do you think about those other 12 that passed on it? I'm sure they're a little regretful. They're failures. That's right. They're, they're tasting a little failure there. Uh, then there's Colonel Sanders of the Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Uh, before he, he made chicken and sold it in a restaurant, he tried a lot of different things. He was an insurance salesman. He owned a gas station. Uh, he was a fireman. Uh, and then he tried his hand at cooking chicken, and he had a little store and was doing real well until a, until a new highway was built, and it cut off his business. And so uh, he began looking for an investor to invest in his chicken business, uh, and he pitched his chicken recipe over 1,000 times, over 1,000 times before someone would invest in him, uh, and they invested in him when he was age 68 And he began to franchise his business. Seven years later, sold it for $15 million. So, thousands of failures. What if he'd given up on failure 1 or 10 or 700 or 999? Failure isn't always a bad thing. But again, easier said than done when it comes to our own lives. Especially when we fail not only ourselves, but we fail people in our lives. Our spouses, our friends, our children, our grandchildren, our parents, uh, our colleagues, our teachers. When we fail others, it's when we really feel the pinch of failure. I shared with you a few months ago that uh, when my son Luke, who's in the fourth grade, brought home his report card, he'd done really well. But he said uh, the next day that one of his classmates, who was age nine at the time, came to school and he didn't have a good report card. And his father had kept him up all night, fussing at him about it, asking him how he could be such an utter failure. Now, making bad grades is not the desired thing, obviously. But does that make someone an utter failure at the age of nine? And what was his father instilling into him other than the idea that he, his identity was a failure? How in the world is this nine-year-old boy supposed to overcome the feeling that he is a failure? And so that got me thinking, and I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time and praying about it, and the scriptures just really speak to failure today. And I wonder if you're like me, if sometimes we feel like a failure, And maybe if you're like me, sometimes we wonder at what point when I fail the 10th time or the 11th time or the 12th time or the 1,000th time, do I move into being a failure? That that's just who I am and that I'm not going to be able to escape it. And sometimes do we we feel that we're destined to fail? It seems like other people, some of them do so well in life, but all we do time after time is fail. So when, how many failures does it take to become a failure for life? And are we destined to fail? And, And what happens even when we go beyond failing ourselves, failing the people in our lives that we care about, What happens when we fail God Almighty? Do we have any hope at that point or are we destined to be an utter failure forever? Well, if this is a tension in your life, like it can be in my life, thanks be to God that we have the Bible. And thanks be to God that we can learn from others who have failed God in the past. And even though they lived a long time ago, we can identify with them because we sometimes fail God ourselves. And and is there good news? Is there hope? And so we're going to dig into that today as we look again at the history of the people of Israel. Now, we've got to remember that God created the nation of Israel to be a beacon to the world, to be a light to the, to the whole world, to show the world who God is and how people are supposed to relate to God. And for a while, the nation of Israel did really well with that, especially when David was king, especially when Solomon was king in, in the first part of his kingdom. But over the past couple of weeks in our readings, we've, we've seen how the people of Israel and their leaders, these various kings, have failed God. And the the nation of Israel has been torn into two parts. The 12 tribes have been split apart. There's 10 of them in the north called Israel and two of them in the south called Judah. And, And for over 200 years, God has given them a chance to stop failing him. But they've been failing miserably. They they have sacrificed their children, as we talked about last week, burning their children to death. They have worshipped false gods who did not exist. They have ignored the cries of the poor and the needy and the oppressed and have done great evil in the eyes of God. And God has been sending prophets, messengers, spokespersons saying, guys, you're messing up big time. You are failing in 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 a miserable way. But God is saying, you can turn it around. And so turn it around and, and every now and then there would be a good king who would turn it around, but most of the kings were leading the people of Israel very poorly, and, and the people of Israel are in trouble, and God's had enough. And so it's about 720 years before Jesus is going to be born. God has given the people over 200 years of leeway, but enough's enough. And so that's where we pick up today in the scripture with second Kings, chapter 17 verses 5 through 7. The king of Assyria, as a neighboring nation of Israel, invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, that was the capital of Israel in the north, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, in Gozan on the Haber River, and in the towns of the Medes. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. This all happened because the Israelites had an epic failure. They failed God. So we allowed this nation to come in and make war upon Israel, kill tons of people, then take away some of the best and brightest out of Israel and back to Assyria to, to assimilate them to become Assyrians. And so in this aftermath, the people of Israel had failed God, not only in the lower story, in their own story. They're facing all this death and their nation being ransacked and, and, and their children being taken away in captivity, never to see them again. But in the upper story, it seems like a failure because this was the people who were supposed to show the entire world who God is and how to relate to God. And they've utterly destroyed the upper story picture. Now, the southern kingdom we read about and saw in the video had a great king named Hezekiah, and he did wonderful things. But after he's gone, there are going to be more kings that are bad. And for a couple hundred more years, God's going to give the southern kingdom a chance. But in 586 years before Jesus is born, 586 B.C., the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to ransack the southern kingdom of Judah and so the people of God have failed on the lower story level. They failed God on the upper story level. And it's just, it's, it's horrible. But here's the good news. God is not ready to give up on us. God is not ready to give up on the people of Israel. They failed epically, but God sees something different in them. And so God sends prophets. He continues to send these prophets. He sends a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah comes and he gives hope to the people of Israel. Even though we're going to have all these terrible things happen and in captivity and, and all this stuff is going to happen, God has not given up on the people. So let's go back to the Bible for some good news. This time we're going to be in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And this is written by the prophet Isaiah, the spokesperson for God. And this is in the midst of all this epic failure that the people of Israel have done. And this is what God says in Isaiah 43. 325. God says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions. It's like, if you can imagine all the wrong things that we do, like moral sins, doing wrong things against God and against others. If you were to write those down on a piece of paper, God says, I scratch them out. He's saying that to the people of Israel, but he's also saying it to us. Whatever wrong things you've done against each other and against me, how you failed others, how you failed yourself, how you failed me, right? Not in selling chicken or writing books, but in the way that we treat each other, God says, I'm I'm blotting it out. I'm getting the ink out and no one's going to see that ever again. Then he goes on to say, for my own sake, I do this. And I remember your sin no more. This is a powerful passage of scripture. God says, I remember your sin no more. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't recall what happened. But what it means in the original Hebrew is remember your sin no more means I will hold it against you no longer. I will, I will stop holding this against you. I'm not going to hold a grudge, right? It's as if you never did it. Now, we need to recall that so we can learn from our failure and not repeat it. But I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I forgive you. And so Isaiah prophesies about a great deliverer who's going to come in and save the people of Israel. And his name is Cyrus. His name was Cyrus the Great. And he was from Persia. And he came in and he liberated the people from Israel. And he let them go back into their homeland, the the land of Israel, about 520, 530 years before Jesus was born. We're going to get to this later. The good news is God didn't give up on the people of Israel. And the good news is that God doesn't give up on us when we fail God by making bad moral decisions. So what? So what does this mean? What's the big idea? What does this mean to me in my life? What's the point? This This is what I think the so what is. Failure is an activity, not an identity. Can you say that with me? Failure is an activity, not an identity. And by that I mean failure is what we do, it's not who we are. Failure is what we do, it's not who we are. So Luke's classmate, who's nine years old, who didn't have a good report card, he failed at getting good grades, but he is not a failure because God has created him in God's image and has incredible plans for his life. So often we identify ourselves by the wrong things that we do in our lives and it traps us and failure becomes a monster and we begin to believe that there's no hope for us, that we can never do something right. We're always going to fail God. We're always going to fail others and it paralyzes us and it keeps us from living life to the full as God intends in John 10 10. I came to give you life to the full. So failure is an activity It's not our identity. It's not who we are. It's something that we do occasionally, right? Some of us more than others, but it doesn't define who we are. We are created as children of God. Our identity is in Christ. Failure is an activity. It's not an identity. So now what do we do? I think we call out failure for what it is, right? When, when it's something that we're trying to do at work or, or get grades at school or be good at a sport or, or write a book or whatever, if we fail, that's an opportunity to learn something and to move on. If it's a moral failure, well, we've done something against God. We've done something against someone else. That's something we've done and we need to ask God for forgiveness for, but it doesn't identify who we are. We are God's children. We are not failures. I want you to say right now with me, I am not a failure. I am not a failure. Now say this. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. So the next time you fail God morally (laughs) this week, and we're all going to do it, we need to ask for forgiveness, but we also have to not allow that to define who we are. We are God's children, just like the people of Israel were God's children. They blew it in a big way, epically. But if God is able to forgive them, then God is able to forgive us when we fail God morally. So when that moment comes this week or the week after that and we fail, yes, God, I'm sorry, right? I'll face whatever consequences come from this, but God help me to know this doesn't define who I am, There's one important caveat though. We cannot be children of God apart from a relationship with Jesus on our own we will lose the moral failure game, right? On the one hand, we're creating God's image and that is good and we are like God and we can do awesome things. But on the other hand, we have freedom to choose and sometimes we just choose really poorly and we cannot avoid moral failures or the guilt and shame that come from failing God through moral failure, which is called sin without the help of Jesus. And so we need some help with that. The way that we become children of God is we allow Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Right, so in the scriptures, when Isaiah writes about the, the Savior to come and rescue the people of Israel, Cyrus the Great, Isaiah did something really clever. He, he wrote about this and it has dual meaning. It, it had dual meaning you know, about 500 years before Jesus was born, but it was also predicting the coming of Jesus 500 years later. Right? So when we read about the Savior, the Messiah, and Isaiah, it's about Cyrus the Great, but it's also about Jesus. And so one more passage from Isaiah, and it's really cool. Isaiah could get published maybe like J.K. Rowling. Oh, wait, he was published like J.K. Rowling. Uh, so in Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16, but Zion, that means Israel, said, The Lord has forsaken me, right? Israel's like, man, we're in trouble. God's left us alone. Um, the Lord has forgotten us. But then God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may though she may forget, I will not forget you. God says, I will not forget you, Israel. I will not forget you, people here, South Park Church. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God says, I know it's rough right now in Israel. You've been taken into captivity, all this stuff. I know you think I've forgotten you, but I have not forgotten you. All of your names are written on the palms of my hands. I want to remember you, right? And it's a beautiful image that God has your name and my name written on the palm of God's hand in the glory of heaven. But do you see where it's going with this with Jesus? Right. Jesus came into the world, the son of God, to take uh, the consequences of our moral failure, like our guilt and our shame and our death and our separation from God, which the Bible calls hell. Jesus take, took all that upon himself when he was nailed to a tree. Right. Where they put the nails and his hands. Right. So through his hands where we are inscribed. Right. He takes our failures and he redeems them. He takes the failures, on, if you wrote them down on the book, and he, he crosses them out, right? Jesus says, I got you on this, right? He does that for us on the cross. And by the way, Jesus dying on the cross was seen as the biggest epic failure in the history of the world. This is supposed to be the Son of God, and this is how he saves people, right? What a failure. But through his failing, he saves us, right? So, failure is an activity. It's not an identity, Right, We need to call failure out for what it is. But our identity as children of God begins with our relationship with Jesus. So that means if, if we want to be identified as a child of God, God's created us in His image, but we need to invite Jesus in to be our Lord and Savior. And so that's what we can do today. And in just a few minutes, we're going to see receive the sacrament of Holy Communion where we drink, eat bread and drink grape juice. And it, it, we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross Jesus makes it possible for us to be identified as children of God, and all we have to do is invite him in and say, Lord, I, I turn over my moral failures to you. I'm tired of carrying this around with me. I'm tired of carrying around guilt and shame, and God, can you take that away and really give me joy and give me peace like the Bible says? Can you help me live life to the full now so that I can live forever in the kingdom of heaven? Right? That's the gift today, right? So homework assignment, you don't even have to leave the place. Right here today, when we receive communion, I invite you to confess your failures to God and to turn them over and say, God, I want to be, I want to be identified with you. I want my identity to be in Jesus. I want my failure to be an activity, not an identity, right? And so maybe, maybe the most simple way that, that we can think about it is Luke's classmate, his earthly father responded that he was an utter failure. His identity is a failure because he got bad grades. And and that little boy's going to have to face that the rest of his life. I don't even know if he can overcome that. I believe he can, but he's going to need a lot of help. An earthly father says, your identity is a failure. Isn't it great that our heavenly father sees something different for us? That our heavenly father says, your identity is in me and you're a winner. I made you in my image. My son died for you and came back to life so that you can be a child of God. Failure is an activity, not an identity. May your identity be as a child of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.